Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. We actually have a good martini for the first time this week. And the good martini is that the president's doing a terrible job. But uh, it's not actually that. It's really that the president uh, is doing a terrible job. At least the American people are aware of it. So that's headed in the right direction in some ways. Uh, Glad you're with us. Your stool is ready. We also have bad and crazy, of course. Uh, New poll from Quinnipiac showing that uh, President Biden sitting at 42% approval rating. Hot Air has the uh, image of Biden with his uh, chin on his hands after one of his Afghanistan speeches, which uh, is uh, pretty appropriate for for this particular poll because, you know, Biden had been polling pretty well. We haven't been in favor of virtually any of his policies, if any at all, but he had been uh, doing really well with approval ratings, high 50s, low 60s for much of the first few months. And then Afghanistan really was the tipping point, but I think there are other issues that people are frustrated about as well, which we've talked about. The border, his numbers have been south on the border for a long time. Um, And, of course, uh, inflation. The economy's not uh, where a lot of us wanted it. And now he's underwater because he's at 50% disapproval. His approval in the uh, rolling average of Real Clear Politics is down to 45%, so he's underwater there. His disapproval is at 49.9%. Driving this most of all, Jim, is uh, his handling of Afghanistan, as we just mentioned. But uh, overall on Afghanistan, disapproval 65, approved 31 91 to 8 among Republicans, only 62 to 35 percent Democrats in favor of how he's handled it, which is kind of amazing that they can actually admit that they think that or or want us to believe that. Independents, though, 68 percent disapprove of his handling of that, only 24 percent approve. And so that's obviously driving a lot of that. He seems to have lost independence, at least for the moment. So what's the takeaway here? It's a long time before Joe Biden's on the ballot. It's a long time even before the midterms. So how significant is this? I think it's something that's worth keeping an eye on. Um, we knew that the president's numbers were going to take a hit as soon as uh, Kabul fell and the news out of Afghanistan was so grim. But we're now several weeks beyond that. I think it's safe to say that this news has been absorbed by the public and digested by the public. And I think, as I wrote in today's Morning Jolt, in a lot of ways, the news cycle is moving on. Um, I'm still writing about it a great deal. You can still find coverage of Afghanistan, but it's not front and center in part because there's other big news things going on that we're going to talk about in a second, like the news about General Milley or the you know California recall and things like that, but also because the news cycle almost inevitably moves on, unless it's something like the COVID-19 pandemic, something that like affects everyone's lives on a daily basis. So Biden may well have been gambling. Okay, I'm going to, you know, it's going to be a messy withdrawal. It's going to look bad. But within a couple of weeks, Americans will forget about it and I'll be fine. I think you can say that the news cycle has largely moved on, but I don't think the uh, Biden image certainly has not recovered. And I think that, you know, with further bad news, the inf- further bad news on inflation, further bad news on the border, further uh, sense this pandemic that he promised he was going to shut down uh, is not shut down. That all, all of a sudden, the, the, there's been a, there's a, a kind of a theory of during those worst couple moments not to suggest that there are any particularly good moments in the way this uh, administration handled Afghanistan, but the moments of like, you know, that was four or five days ago, that that really took a shot at what was the image of Joe Biden that was sold to the public in 2020, that he was wise, that he was stable and would bring order to both at home and abroad, uh, that he was empathetic and caring. and And all these things just really got hammered 
by an utterly disastrous withdrawal. And so if you, you know, put bad COVID numbers, bad Afghanistan numbers, and bad inflation numbers, eventually this just becomes too much to do, to overcome. And the two things that jumped out at me in that first top line number of, do you approve of the way Joe Biden is handling his job as president? We expect him to do badly amongst uh, Republicans and his Demo- numbers amongst Democrats usually aren't that bad. Uh, 88 to seven isn't terrible, although I'm sure that it, you know, usually you prefer that to be above 90%. Um, but the numbers on independence, 34% approval, 52% disapproval. That's bad. And the other number that really jumps out at me, uh, women's approval of Biden is down to just almost an even split, 47% approve, 45% disapprove. Now that's the bread and butter for the Democratic Party, women voters. That's where they run up their numbers and offset their numbers amongst men. And oh, by the way, there's almost 20 point split among men in this 36% and 55, 36% approve, 55% disapprove. And let's also just keep in mind that generally speaking, in Quinnipiac, if you're going to characterize it as a little bit democratic leaning in its numbers, not egregiously, uh, but generally this is the one that would have the worst numbers for Trump during the Trump presidency. You look at their Senate races and stuff, not, not by a ton, but by a few points. Um, so if a Democrat is getting really bad numbers in a Quinnipiac poll, that should be a giant flashing neon sign saying danger. So again, yes, it's early, but I guess the other thing is that, you know, even if Biden manages to keep Afghanistan out of the headlines, which some of us will be doing our best to uh, uh, not allow that to occur, it's not like he can point to great numbers on uh, and COVID, at least so far. It's not like he can point to great numbers on uh, the border, great numbers on inflation, uh, things like that. And oh, by the way, you know, this Quinnipiac poll was right after his big maxi, uh, vaccine mandate uh, speech, which if you thought that was going to turn things around, there's at least so far no indication that was going to do it. So uh, look, this is a, you know, the president is in a really rough spot. And my suspicion is like, this is where ideally a president would look at what he's doing and say, oh, wow, this is not really working. People don't like it. Maybe I should rethink some things. My suspicion is that they'll conclude, oh, we need to get back to what worked for us, what got us elected, which was talking about Donald Trump and bashing Donald Trump and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, presidents who get themselves in trouble have this tendency to go back and want to play the greatest hits again, because that's what you know got them where they were. And very often it doesn't work because the circumstances have changed and the problems have changed. They are attempting to use a screwdriver on a nail, so to speak. Well, I think you're exactly right about that. And I think it also uh, perhaps tells us, you know, which issues matter more, because uh, the polling that I've seen from uh, Morning Consult, different company than this one, this is a Q poll, um, showed that for the most part, his vaccine mandates, which uh, we think are way over the pale constitutionally and otherwise, um, you know, those are receiving pretty strong approval by 20 points in most cases, at least. And so it's obvious that an issue like Afghanistan stranding Americans uh, and just the completely chaotic and, and and disgraceful way that we left Afghanistan matters most and it's settling more in the minds of people than uh, whatever he's trying to do right now to distract us from that. Yeah, but it may very well be that even if, you know, if public agrees with a particular move the president makes, it may not be enough to change their opinion of him. Um, you see Republican candidates campaigning in African-American communities on school choice. And the good news is for Republican candidates is that, yes, many, many African-Americans support school choice. They want to see it expanded. They want to see more options. But in many cases, that's not enough to change the voting preferences for the Democratic Party. Uh, one issue by itself isn't going to do it. In this case, you know, maybe Biden's you know, vaccine mandates are popular. I imagine a lot of people who are fully vaccinated already feel like, yeah, fine, make the other people do it. I don't really care about that. Um, but I don't think that's going to be enough to make them say, oh, 
I'm, I, I can now forget the images of the, you know, young boy falling from the airplane. Um, or I can, you know, I can ignore the fact that the president is, you know, kind of shrugging his shoulders about, uh, uh, you know, Americans, American green card holders and our Afghan allies stuck being there and in some cases being tortured to death and executed. Wow. Very well said. Very well said. We'll see how the numbers uh, hold up or how they change. They're likely to change, obviously, a lot before uh, the midterms, but uh, they didn't factor into California much. And we'll talk about that in uh, just a moment. Uh, Jim, let's talk about uh, something that will hopefully get the bad taste out of all those horrible Biden policies out of our mouth. And that is the fantastic products over at Quip. You know, you're supposed to brush, you're supposed to floss, and you're supposed to rinse. And now they've got a fantastic mouthwash that completes the oral care routine. Quip mouthwash kills bad breath germs, helps prevent cavities, and leaves you feeling fresh thanks to a formula that gives your mouth everything it needs and nothing it doesn't. Their four times concentrate has fluoride, xylitol, and CPC. I want to emphasize, listeners, CPC, not PCP. They're not putting you on any crazy drugs or anything like that. But they left out the artificial colors and stinging alcohol that you'll find in a lot of other rinses. The refillable dispenser's compact footprint will fit in any bathroom, big or small. And with five colors and two high-end finishes to choose from, you're guaranteed to find a dispenser that matches your style. This is the one mouthwash you will definitely not want to hide under the sink. Sitting on your counter, it's a beautiful reminder to rinse every day and a subtle way of letting everyone know that your oral care game is next level. Yeah, this is a fantastic rinse. I've got it on my vanity counter as we speak. All you have to do once you assemble the dispenser, put in a little water to mix with that uh, four times concentrate. You just plunge down the button, you pour it into your cup, and you rinse. Couldn't be easier. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini5 right now, you can get $5 off a mouthwash starter kit. That's $5 off a mouthwash starter kit, which includes a refillable dispenser and a 90-dose supply of Quip's, again, four times concentrated formula at getquip.com slash martini5. That's martini spelled out and the number 5. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini5. Quip is the good habits company. All right, Jim, we talked yesterday about the uh, problems with the California recall, the effort to remove Newsom. Peaked a little too early. The Democrats got uh, engaged. They've obviously got huge advantages with the electorate in California. And so by the time we got to yesterday, it was pretty clear that Gavin Newsom was likely to survive. Turns out the turnout, at least in the early returns that I saw, was pretty abysmal among Republicans and independents. I believe they called it for Newsom surviving within 10, 20 minutes of uh, the polls closing in California, a little after 11 Eastern last night. And so there's some good news and some bad news here. The good news here is that uh, there's really no more allegations that this was uh, shady. I mean, the margin was so huge, it's pretty clear that Newsom survived. Larry Elder said, you know, we need to graciously concede, but the war's not over because hopefully we can save California at some point. It still is going in a horribly wrong direction. Uh, But the worst part about last night, Jim, is not only that he survived, but the margin. So now he and the Democrats are basically claiming this is a referendum on the Democratic agenda. Here's how Newsom himself put it about what Californians all said yes to because they decided to keep him as governor. Uh, I want to focus on what we said yes to as a state. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccines. We said yes to ending this pandemic. We said yes to people's right to vote without fear of fake fraud or voter suppression. We said yes 
to women's fundamental constitutional right to decide for herself what she does with her body, or her fate and future. We said yes to diversity. We said yes to inclusion. We said yes to pluralism. We said yes to all those things that we hold dear as Californians, and I would argue as Americans, economic justice, social justice, racial justice, environmental justice, our values where California has made so much progress. All of those things were on the ballot this evening. Jim, I feel like this is very much going to embolden Democrats, particularly in Washington. So we've got to be ready. Indeed. And by the way, I think there should be an asterisk in Gavin Newsom's remarks when he says they fully support and people voted to support a woman's right to do what she wants with her body, except for vaccinations. (laughs) Then she doesn't have a choice. Then it's then no, no, sorry. The state knows better. You got to get jabbed. No, no exceptions. Sorry. Um, I suppose everyone is, you know, uh, conditional on on those, you know, comparison those two issues. So two things. I guess you could say there's a small silver lining that Larry Elder did not wave the bloody shirt and claim that it was rigged or anything like that. He called for his supporters to be gracious in defeat. Um, but let's also point out that, like, in the end, it, you couldn't plausibly argue that it was rigged or, or stolen or something like that. But look, in the year 2020... Uh, Donald Trump got more than 6 million people in California to vote for him. If those 6 million people had voted yes on recall, Newsom would be gone by now. Uh, at least as of, you know, this morning, the number was something, the, the yes votes were something like 3.2, maybe 3.3 million, something in that. Now, obviously you get a much bigger turnout in a presidential election than in a recall election, but if every Trump voter showed up and voted yes, get rid of Newsom, he'd be gone. So the real issue is, is that barely half of the people who felt motivated to vote for Donald Trump in 2020 felt motivated enough to come out and vote in a recall election. We've heard we, we have complained about the state of the California Republican Party for a really long time. I think this is a colossal failure on the part of the California Republican Party. Did Elder make mistakes? Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. I think uh, my colleague Kevin Smith makes an observation that in the end, you're, what you say to your voters in a state, it's, it's got to be what the voters want to hear. You can't just, I'm sorry, Kyle Smith, not Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is still complaining about people who didn't like He-Man or something like that. <laughs> um, but Kyle makes the observation that like you, you know, in a recall election, you needed something to be not just, aren't you irked with Gavin Newsom? It had to be, aren't you irked with Gavin Newsom and wouldn't you rather have X? And whether you like it or not, California is a pretty darn blue state. You're not going to be able to elect a, a, you know, very conservative Republican. It just the demographics just aren't there. Sorry, I I wish it were different, but it's not. So you got to think about what you can do. Could you elect a Charlie Baker type? Could you elect a um, Larry Hogan type? You know, is there a, uh, you know, Governor Scott up in Vermont, uh, Sununu up in New Hampshire? There are folks who can get a decent amount of stuff done but who don't have that hard edge. And I just think you know, running a radio talk radio host who's um, I think he's really good at what he does. But in the end, Larry Elder's bread and butter and, and the, the currency of his realm is controversy. The, the currency of his realm is to be somebody who's provocative and, and might you know generate an intense emotional response. And I don't know if that's really the sort of thing that can work if you're a Republican in the state of California. Again, I wish it were different, but it is. And I think we see the results of that here. So that not only... Um, is the, the being a, uh, you know, combative radio talk show host who courts controversy. Not only does that not help in, in a recall election, 
it can save somebody like Gavin Newsom, who is, let's face it, you know, he was the, the face of smug progressive elitism dining at the French Laundry while everyone else, well, restaurants all across the state were closed. This was winnable, but it's just not winnable the way Elder and the Republicans went about it. Here we are. And I think Newsom is going to interpret this as the good housekeeping seal of approval for anything he wants to do for the rest of the time that he's governor. Exactly. But if you're Larry Elder, you probably need a good nap right now, as well as anybody else who was involved in this uh, campaign uh, around the clock. And so all the products from MyPillow would be a fantastic choice, whether it's the uh, pillows, the sheets, the towels. Uh, but we're also talking today about the new My Slippers. The My Slippers, which I absolutely loved, so comfortable, took two years to develop to ensure they are the highest in quality and comfort. And right now, you can get 50% off your set of My Slippers with our promo code Martini. These slippers are durable. You can wear them all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They are made with beautiful leather suede and have cozy faux fur linings and a sole designed for both indoors and outdoors. They come in moccasin and slip-on style. They're available in a variety of colors, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. But I have to tell you about the three-tier cushioning system. The first layer is the MyPillow patented fill. And this is the foam you know and love from your pillow, and they've created a solid layer to provide incredible comfort. The second layer is comfort memory foam. This is a layer of comfort memory foam that provides that micro comfort and support so you can wear these slippers all day. But the third layer is the patented impact gel, which is made from US soybeans. It is revolutionary in absorbing impact and relieving pressure. For a limited time, MyPillow is offering 50% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, don't forget that part, enter the promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including some of the things I mentioned earlier, like the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow mattress topper and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save that 50% though on the new My Slippers with our promo code MARTINI. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, let's move to our crazy martini now. And that is the story broken by Bob Woodward and your former colleague, Robert Costa, who's now at the Washington Post, along with Woodward, about the actions of Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, uh, during the days before the 2020 election and two days after the uh, riot up on Capitol Hill on January 6th. And basically what they're saying here is that Milley, uh, took it upon himself, although subsequent reporting suggests that perhaps Defense Secretary Mark Esper at the time was in on this as well, but that Milley, unbeknownst to Trump, made secret phone calls to his Chinese counterpart, General Li Zhaochang of the People's Liberation Army, and essentially, Milley uh, told him he'd reviewed intelligence that suggested Chinese officials believed the United States was planning an attack on China amid military exercises in the South China Sea. So Milley took it upon himself or with the help of Mark Esper, to tell his communist Chinese counterpart not to worry that he would essentially tip off the Chinese if President Trump, uh, who Milley considered to be unstable at the time, both in both situations, was uh, inching towards a nuclear strike on China. There's no evidence that I've seen so far, Jim, that Trump was actually considering anything close to such an attack on China or anybody else, either before the election, after the election, or anywhere around January 6th. 
But, um, of course, with our punditry the way it is now on MSNBC, CNN, and uh, a lot of the blue checks, Mark Milley's a hero, man. But, uh, no, uh, Mark Milley uh, is clearly outside what he should have been doing here. What's the, uh, what's the ramifications? Greg, I think one of the most surprising and pleasantly surprising things I've seen in the last 24 hours was Vindemann, the uh, former defense official who was a figure in the Ukraine phone call, uh, one who was a vehement critic of President Trump, you know, defying everyone's expectations and saying, well, actually, no, this is not acceptable. This is mil- this is not within the realm of normal behavior or acceptable behavior for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He goes completely around the, the uh, you know, Vindemann is saying, no, Billy's got to go, which I think, you know, you know, gold star for you, Vindemann, for, for saying something that you're, uh, existing fan base probably would not necessarily like to hear and recognizing that not every decision and every act taken in opposition to President Trump acceptable. Uh, I am left with a bunch of questions about this, Greg, high among them. So which country signs the paycheck for General Milley again? <laughs> that would be is ours. It, is it the U.S. or China? I'm fairly certain we hired him. I'm fairly Correct. certain we put him in that position. And I, I could be, I thought there was an oath that he took would make the U.S. priority higher than making sure his Chinese counterparts felt good. Now, here's the thing. There are, you know, is there a scenario in which this is not quite as horrible as it sounds? I, I suppose if, you know, if, if the Chinese were, were genuinely getting paranoid and reacting like they think a U.S. strike is imminent, there's nothing wrong with the chairman of the Joint Staff saying, we are not planning a strike. There is no indication of any strike. Calm the heck down. But saying, if there's a sneak attack, I will tell you first. <laughs> I, I just, I can't get my head around this. And the other thing that I think is like the, the utterly bizarre philosophy at work. And let's point out that Milley was already under thin ice for his, you know, reading list to look at white rage and uh, diversity and, and things like that at the, at the Pentagon. Then there was Afghanistan, which is arguably one of the most geopolitical uh, defeats for the United States in, in many decades. But now you put this on top of it. And the thing that seems pretty clear, at least based on the excerpt we've seen in the Washington Post by uh, Woodward and Costa, Greg, imagine doing this. Imagine you say to the Chinese military, don't worry, if there's a sneak attack, I will call you and tell you ahead of time so that you guys can prepare something that sounds treasonous in, in some, you know, by some definitions. Um, and then imagine, Greg, going and talking to either Bob Woodward or Bob Costa about this. Because fairly, it seems pretty clear that actually, you know, Millie was the source. There are only so many people who knew Millie did this. So it's very hard to believe uh, Millie would, uh, you know, that someone else would, you know, tell Millie this. So the idea is, I think in Millie's head, this was a really good thing that he did. It was a really brave thing that he did. That he, he, I think he expected to be commended by this. And of course, there are some folks who are saying, yes, oh, thank goodness he said, look, if Trump genuinely was going nut, we have the 25th Amendment. He could have gone to Esper and said, the president's nuts. He should not be have uh, be in command of the military anymore. He should not have his, you know, his finger on the nuclear button. He is no longer in, you know, capable of executing his duties. Get the cabinet. Let's do this. And who knows how that scenario would have shaked out. Or he could say, I'm not participating in any of this. I resign. But the option you don't have under your, you know, code is as a, when you take that oath is to say, I'm really worried about how this is going to shake out. So I'm going to call up the Chinese military and I'm going to say, don't worry. I'm going to make sure you guys know about anything we plan on doing against him. It's absolutely bizarre. And I think it indicates a really thorough rot at the top of the Pentagon, 
which is really unnerving because one of the institutions in our society that still seem to have a little bit of authority, a little bit of trust, a little bit of a sense that when push came to shove, they would always put Americans' best interest first. What does it take to get fired in this town? I mean, it's... <laughs> what more do you need oh, for The only guy, guy they, they fired was the guy, or at least he was, ended up in trouble, is the guy who called out his leaders for, you know, abandoning everyone in Afghanistan. <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember That's the one guy. Obama pretended to be mad about the IRS scandal for about five minutes. He fired the acting IRS commissioner who was going to leave about two weeks later anyway. So it's totally cosmetic. I mean... Many heads need to roll over Afghanistan. Wouldn't this give Biden a, a good opportunity to say, look, even though uh, I've worked with him well, this is conduct uh, beyond the pale and uh, we just can't have this. You'd think it would be an easy, uh, easy mark for him. But for some reason, I don't think that's going to happen. This has been a steady process. And it really what's really kind of interesting is, again, you could point to Obama. You could point to Bush. I think, you know, attributed to Trump. It's. It, it's a bipartisan phenomenon, but I think it's a worsening bipartisan phenomenon. The idea, like, I, like, presidents should see their cabinets and the people under them as employees. And if they screw up, they should get fired. Actually, ironically, you know, the, the, you know Trump did get rid of some people, but usually it was over, like, complaining in the press, not necessarily doing a bad job. But, you know, uh, it took forever to get Archuleta out at the Office of Personnel Management offer the, after that disastrous hack. Shinseki with the veterans dying waiting for care at the VA. Um, Sibelius and the terrible rollout of healthcare.gov. Like in each one of these cases, like I'm upset as an American, but I also kind of feel embarrassed for Obama. And that sense of like, you know, you, sh you should be really, you were really poorly served by this. You should demand better, Mr. President. And in this case, like, you know, I, I think Biden... In, in the end, Biden was the author and the, the architect of this withdrawal strategy in Afghanistan. But if, if Biden looked at this and said, yeah, I no longer have faith in Milley's ability to do his duties, please submit your resignation. You know, I'd have respect for, for Biden. You know, there's a recognition like, you know what, Milley, you've been there long enough. It's time to, time to move on. Let's get some fresh blood in there. Let's see if they can do any better because you have now managed to have at least three major controversies and bad decisions in a less than a year. And, uh, you know, ideally, you know, other than Colin Powell back during the Persian Gulf War, most Americans don't really know who the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is. It's not a figure that's in the news on a daily basis. Uh, and they certainly aren't attached to that many controversies on any given you know period of time. Uh, but Milley's managed to do that quite a bit lately. And I think that's a strong indicator that it's time for some change in that position. Oh, my gosh. I feel like that position has gotten more and more political rather than being the independent military advisor it's been. I feel like Pete Pace, Dick Myers, that era was about the last time they weren't kind of more political than, than military because uh, Mullen and uh, certainly Dempsey, to some extent Dunford. I mean, it's uh, Millie's probably the worst of all, though. Uh, I still don't know why so many people in Washington want to talk to Bob Woodward. I know they want themselves to look good when the book comes out, so they figure if they play along, they'll probably get a better... Oh, it's, it's practicing defensive leaking. <laughs> you know, I don't know if the other guy's going to leak about me, so I better leak stuff that makes me look good, to, you know. Exactly. It's all part of the, you know, the question is, if you're a government official or a you know, recently retired government official, do you want to give your good stuff to Woodward or do you want to keep it for your own Washington memoir, which will inevitably be subtitled, <laughs> if only they'd listen to me? <laughs> I'll give it to Woodward, though. He's still working. As far as I can tell, Carl Bernstein's still coasting off of Watergate 50 years later. So, mm. I, I mean, uh, at least sure. we're, we're still showing up for work. Uh, anyway, Jim, quite a discussion today. See you tomorrow.
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Uh, also tell your friends about us as well. Uh, we're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday and join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.